three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with Jesus. some of these people. I just, Put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would uh, you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits episode 24. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and I have a somewhat disturbing, unnerving question that we're going to be exploring in this week's episode. Are we living in a simulation? We're going to be unpacking the simulation hypothesis, including why you could make a powerful argument that our entire existence as we know it is a simulated reality being run by a future human civilization or an advanced alien race somewhere else in the universe. And we'll also be tackling the issue of what this means for us. How should we live our lives if we are in fact living in a simulated reality? This is going to be a dark and unsettling episode. Not all that dissimilar from my episode on death and mortality earlier this year. So buckle up for another episode of... Nervous Habits. Guys, it's actually funny. As I sit here to record this episode on reality as a simulation... It's actually a rainy, dark, bleak day outside. Um, You may hear thunder, uh, lightning, uh, storm in the background um, as I sit and record uh, today in scenic Washington, D.C. So uh, only fitting that this is the environment, this is the atmosphere uh, for this this topic. Before I get into it, I want to remind you, uh, if you would like to contact us with feedback, uh, questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out at nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. For a while, I was sharing those on the pod, but most of my correspondence uh, I'm either responding to privately or uh, you know planning to go into on the bonus episode. I, I know a couple episodes back when I had the bonus episode with Adam, um, I actually read uh, some some emails just because you know I want to optimize the, the limited amount of time that we have together. So uh, yeah, so if you do have uh, suggestions. Uh, questions, comments, feedback, nervousheadspodcast at gmail.com is the best way to reach me. Uh, you can also send me a DM on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast or on Twitter at Nervous Habits underscore. And finally, as I mentioned uh, last week and continuing to mention on YouTube, search Nervous Habits Podcast. And it's kind of like a greatest hits collection, um, some sound bites from uh, some of the more compelling topics that we've discussed here on the pod. Uh, so we are out there as well. So I want to start a discussion, kind of set the scene, if you're not familiar with the uh, simulation hypothesis, provide some context on how this, this conceptualization came to be. And there's a book, an ancient Chinese text, which contains anecdotes from the 400s and 300s BCE. I want to make sure I'm, I'm pronouncing this correctly. I think it's uh, Zhuang Zhi, uh, Z-H-U-A-N-G. Z-H-I, in case you want to Google it and you know do, do your own research. And the most famous of all the Zhuang Zi uh, stories is one called The Butterfly Dream. I actually had not heard about this until I did some research, but it's genuinely compelling. Uh, even, you know, what, 2,400, 2,500 years later, I, I still think it's, it's very pertinent, especially to this conversation. And here are a few quotes from the passage, and this is translated from Mandarin into English, uh, The Butterfly Dream. Once Zhuang Zhu dreamed he was a butterfly, a butterfly flitting and fluttering about, happy with himself and doing as he pleased. 
He was conscious only of his happiness as a butterfly. He didn't know that he was Wang Zhu. Suddenly he woke up and there he was, solid and unmistakable Wang Zhu. But he did not know whether he was then a man dreaming he was a butterfly or whether he was now a butterfly dreaming that he was a man. Between a man and a butterfly, there is necessarily a distinction. So I want to, you know, uh, provide a moment for that to, to sink in. In in the text, he writes that the man did not know whether he was then a man dreaming he was a butterfly or whether he was now a butterfly dreaming he was a man. And again, even, you know, thousands of years ago, this subjectivity, this inability to ascertain what is an objective reality um, really forms the foundation for this concept of a simulation hypothesis. Uh, and... It's the idea that everything that we think and know and experience to be real to us may be just a simulation. Flash forward about, you know, 2300 years and there was a movie, you guys may have heard of it, it's called The Matrix. And if you've listened to this pod, uh, you know I am an ardent, uh, you know, fan of The Matrix, The Matrix film series, one of if not my favorite movie ever. And actually, it was in the news uh, this month because it looks like they're in talks to create a Matrix 4, um, kind of revive the film series, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, if nothing else, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that there needs to be a fourth installment. I think that a lot of you know, diehard uh, Matrix fans will tell you the first movie was you know, really the, the pinnacle. The next two, uh, there was a drop-off in, in quality. I think that they tried to do a, do a little bit too much. So I don't necessarily think from a plot standpoint the fourth movie is you know is necessary, but it will introduce a new generation to The Matrix, which I think is the important part. But if you haven't seen The Matrix, uh, number one, pause the podcast and you know watch it tonight. I, just <laughs> You'll thank me later. But uh, if you don't know, the film is essentially a, you, a world where the characters are living in a normal society like we are today. I think it takes place in New York. And they're going about their daily lives. When the main character, Keanu Reeves, uh, plays Neo, begins to have these dreams. So he's having these dreams, um, and essentially he just he feels like there's something wrong with the world. Um, and we later, we later figure out that he, he may have been experiencing what, what are known as uh, glitch in the matrix. And he meets this, this, uh, this figure, Morpheus, and Morpheus gives him a choice between two pills. The red one to show him the truth about the matrix, the truth about the world that he lives in. And the blue one to return back to his uh, former life. And of course, Neo takes the red pill and he wakes up in the real world. Uh, you, can't, you can't see me air quoting, but uh, the real objective world. And what he realizes is, in reality, everything that he knew to be real, to be you know the actual world, was a simulation. It was a virtual um, reality, so to speak. But... In the real world, his body was plugged into a liquid-filled pod surrounded by millions of others all around him attached to an elaborate electrical system which was controlled by a series of machines. And what he thought was the real world was just a shared simulated reality created by the machines to deceive humans into thinking they were in the real world. And the scene where Neo actually wakes up in the real world with wires plugged into his entire body and he has to pull the wires out and he looks around and he sees the entire human race enslaved in those tanks. I had to rewatch that like 10 times. It still kind of gives me chills to think about it. Just the idea that everything that, that you know 
to be real. Your entire existence is a fallacy. It's it's disturbing. I mean, it could it could just just that thought that imagery could drive someone crazy. And the movie got a lot of people thinking: Could this be our reality? Could we be living in the Matrix? And the Wachowski brothers who made the film, they weren't even the first to come up with the idea of the Matrix. It, it has been suggested that the concept was an allusion to Rene Descartes' uh, first meditation. That's the idea that the perceived world might be a comprehensive illusion created to deceive us. There's also the brain in a vat hypothesis, which you might have learned about if you ever took a philosophy class in college. And that's the idea that there is no physical world, that you exist as a disembodied mind and your entire reality is as a disembodied brain that's sitting in a vat of nutrients and the nerve endings of the brain are connected to a supercomputer whose program sends electrical impulses that stimulate the brain in the same way that actual brains are stimulated when perceiving external objects. So I know that's a, it, it's kind of comp, uh, complicated, but just kind of imagine, imagine like a, uh, a mason jar and your brain is in the jar and it's plugged into a whole bunch of stuff and what you're experiencing right now Feels like reality, but much like in the Matrix, Neo's actual body was in that tank surrounded by millions of humans. Your actual body doesn't exist. It's just a brain in a vat that's, ma- that's making you seem like you're having this simulated experience. It, it, it's, it's, you know, the brain in the vat's a really interesting one. Um, and then finally, one of my favorite philosophical concepts, that's Plato's allegory of the cave. This is also extremely famous. And much like the Matrix, the allegory of the cave tackles the question of what is reality? In the cave, which is presented in in Plato's Republic, the idea is uh, we are all prisoners and we're stuck inside a cave. We're staring at shadows of images of things appearing on a wall in front of us. That's our reality. That's the only reality that we know. And behind us, what we can't see is that a puppet master is manipulating the images to get us to see whatever he or she wants. And our mission in life, or as, as Plato says, our mission in a democratic society is to turn our heads away from the wall, away from the shadows of images of things, and get out of the cave into the real world to embrace sunlight, which in Platonic ideology means truth. And, I mean, you can already probably see the parallels with The Matrix. The Matrix, uh, the Wachowski brothers in The Matrix drew heavily from uh, Plato's allegory. There's a lot of literature about it online, the, the, the dichotomy. And as, you know, just as Neo has to take the red, pol- red pill and wake up um, in the real world and unplug himself from the matrix in platonic ideology you're a prisoner and you need to accept and understand that what you see before you is is deceptive and break out of the cave and you can't rely on your senses you can't trust your eyes um, because the world is controlled by greater power and in the case of neo that's the machines in the case of plato it's the form holders or the puppeteers so in uh in the matrix it's very much Whatever Neo experiences when he goes into the Matrix is all an illusion. And there's, you know, there's a scene where, very famous, um, where he, a little girl gives him a spoon and uh, I think she, either she says to him or he says to her that there is no spoon and he begins to bend the spoon with his mind. And then later on, um, when, you know, uh, when at, at the end of the first movie, he, he has that final confrontation with Agent Smith and he sees literally the zeros and ones, he sees the code in the matrix and he's able to just totally defeat Agent Smith by essentially realizing that the entire thing's an illusion and and controlling it. Um, 
where am I going with this? <laughs> I guess the the similarity again for Plato in the allegory cave, you can't trust what you see in front of the shadows and the images and things are just manipulated by the puppeteers. And for Neo, you can't trust the um, you know the Matrix because it's all uh, a simulated reality. So in both of these simulations, they. Uh, the protagonists manage to escape from the world as they know it and come to know the world as it really is. And we'll break that apart later, the the objective world and whether or not there is an objective world, right? I mean, this is, uh, we can really get fit metaphysical if we talk about that. Is there any, is there such a thing as an objective reality? Um, but for now, we'll leave it at that. And one last note on um, on uh, the Matrix and, and, and on the cave. So Neo comes to realize that the life that he's been leading so far is nothing but the life of a slave. And he's shaped under the control of the Matrix, protected by the agents. Plato's prisoner comes to realize, first, the shadows that he's looking at are not the truth. They're just the shadows cast on the wall by the form holders, the puppeteers. He sees the fire and he follows the path which leads outside the cave. And then he sees the sun and everything else illuminated by it. And that's the truth. So what both the Allegory of the Cave and the Matrix share is the gift of learning new feats. Neo is able to perform those physically impossible feats like the, you know, dodging bullets and, um, you know, essentially like going inside Agent Smith and, and imploding him from the inside out. Once he learns to manipulate the Matrix and the prisoner in the Allegory of the Cave learns infinite wisdom when he breaks free from the cave. I could, I could talk about um, both, you know, platonic ideology in the cave and the Matrix all day. Because I think that when taken together, they form one of the most interesting concepts in human history. And with that as the bedrock, you guys, let's dive into the question, are we living in a simulation? Think about it for a moment. How do you know that your your reality is the reality? You know, if someone were to ask you, is this real? Is this real life? <laughs> I feel like we're about to morph into song. Is this real life or is this fantasy? But seriously, how do you know that you're living in the real world? How do you know you're not living in the matrix? How do you know you're not stuck in, you know, a, a cave, either literally or figuratively? As Morpheus put so beautifully to Neo, do you really think that's air you're breathing? That, that's my Morpheus impersonation. And I don't want to freak anyone out. I don't want to induce psychosis or panic disorder or, um, you know, keep you awake at night pondering this, but the truth is we do not know. I mean, no one can possibly know. It's it's unsettling, this, this uncertainty. But there's no conclusive evidence that we are not living inside a matrix, control, a matrix controlled by a series of machines while our real bodies are tethered to supercomputers simulating reality for all of us. There's just no conclusive evidence that that's not happening. And this isn't just me talking, you guys. Scientific authorities actually agree that there's a chance that that might be happening. In fact, there was an article in Scientific American a few years ago that actually tried to analyze this question. And they cited a popular argument for the simulation hypothesis, uh, which, you know, the idea that we're all living in a simulation, which came from University of Oxford philosopher Nick Bostrom in 2003. And Nick Bostrom is one of the, one of the thought leaders for the simulation, uh, simulation hypothesis. So I'm going to be mentioning him a bunch. And what he suggested is that members of an advanced civilization with enormous computing power might decide to run simulations of their ancestors. 
They would probably have the ability to run many, many such simulations to the point where the vast majority of mines would actually be artificial ones within such simulations rather than the original ancestral mines. So simple statistics suggest it is much more likely that we are among the simulation mines than not. And we're gonna. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna break that down. I, I, I know that's that's a lot. It's a little overwhelming. Um, Bostrom's uh, logic there. So, so we're gonna go into it. Um, but essentially, what he's saying is that our minds are artificial minds that were created by simulations, and these simulations are essentially future human beings that want to know what life was like thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of years ago. And so they run uh, simulations of their ancestors. And that is essentially our reality. So I guess one of the most important tenets of Bostrom's uh, argument is computing power. I mean, if, you know, it's very much like an ABC argument. Um, If A, then B, if B, then C. And one of the assumptions is that future civilizations will have the computing power in order to do this. They'll have sufficient computing power. So, you know, I want to expand on this concept of computing power for a moment because that is the key to understanding Bostrom's entire line of reasoning. If we look back to early video games like Pong, created in 1972, you can see that computing power then was very primitive. And today, if you look at video games like Red Dead Redemption or Fortnite, you could see just how far computing power has grown in just about like 50 years. And in the future, you know, when you consider the Oculus and VRAR technology, which enables you to actually step into the game, computing power will only continue to grow at a higher rate. So the research that's been done on this indicates that computing power does not grow in a linear fashion. It actually grows exponentially. It doubles roughly every two years. So the growth from Pong to Fortnite over over 47 years is likely to be exceeded in the evolution of VR technology in the previous five years and then the next decade. So like if you're imagining a graph, it's not as if it's, you know, let's go back to, to algebra, to, to math class, guys. It's not as if it's a, it's a diagonal line that goes straight and every five years the computing power, um, you know, goes up by a factor of, of two or three. It, it doesn't work that way. Instead, it's, it's an exponent. So if you remember, <laughs> graphing exponents. So if like, you know, if, you, if you're graphing three cubed, um, first year it's going to be three. Second year, it's going to be nine. Third year, it's going to be 27. So you see it's, it's actually multiplying by a factor of three. It's not, uh, you know, it's not being uh, added by a factor of three. So you, we got a miniature math lesson here. And this trend is actually called Moore's Law. That's the idea that the speed and capability of computers can be expected to double every two years as a result of increases in the number of transistors that a microchip can contain. I don't want to go, you know, down into the weeds of um, <laughs> the computer engineering components because number one, I have no idea what, what, what that stuff means. Um, and number two, it's not really important. The important takeaway is that Moore's law is the idea that there is an exponential growth in computing power over time. And so the advancement of computing power has sparked the question, what if there are civilizations out there with computers powerful enough to simulate the entire universe all the way down to the molecular level? Well, that's true. Sufficiently advanced computers could program their simulated beings, us, to feel like they're conscious, much like the characters in The Matrix, much like robots. I mean, we've talked so much about AI on this pod. Um, 
a lot of robots think that they're conscious, think that they're sentient, but then they fail the Turing test, and then you know they're not actually shown to be autonomous. So advanced civilizations, when they run the ancestor civilizations, could program their their simulated beings to feel like they're conscious, to be blissfully unaware that their minds are artificial. They could create memories, emotions, thoughts, and feelings to make us think that we're in a reality, much like in, in Westworld, to make the host think that it's the real world. And so the simulated beings would be aware of their existence, but not aware of the fact that the reality isn't real at all. So it's possible, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's feasible that future civilizations could do this and they could be doing it right now for our reality. And so that brings us back to Nick Bostrom's hypothesis, the ancestor simulation, uh, simula- <laughs> simulations, it's it, civilizations and simulations. It's, it's going to get like annoying, you know, not to mix those words up. So we go back to Bostrom's ancestor simulations hypothesis, that the idea that some future civilization is running a simulation of reality based on their ancestors. And the argument proposes that one of three possibilities must be true. Option one. Civilizations that become capable of running ancestor simulations go extinct before they reach that people. Option two, civilizations that have reached technological maturity and could run ancestor simulations have no desire to do so. Option three, almost all existing civilizations with human level experience are living in a simulation. So those are the only three options that could be true according to Bostrom. So what option one is saying, it's that future civilizations could in fact run ancestor simulations, but some catastrophic event prevented them from doing so, like an asteroid, for example, celestial event. But if even one civilization reached technological maturity, we could rule out option one as a possibility. So that leaves only options two and three. You only need one civilization, you guys. You don't need every future civilization. Just one civilization needs to reach that computing power, that technological ability, and then we can rule out option one. Option two says that these civilizations have the technology, but they don't want to run it. Maybe it's for ethical reasons or spiritual reasons. If they can simulate emotions and sensations, maybe they feel like the Sims would experience pain and suffering. So perhaps future people don't want that. But again, If even one civilization chooses to run the ancestor simulation, we can rule out option two. We do not need every future civilization uh, to run it, only one. And that leaves option three. And option three is the simulation hypothesis, the idea that almost all existing civilizations are living in a simulation. If a future civilization could run one simulation, just one, then it stands to reason that they could run several or hundreds or thousands And if multiple simulations did it, you guys, the simulated realities could number in the millions or more. The millions. And with that number of simulated reality, it would suggest that our own reality is more likely to be a simulated reality than not. I want to go through that again because I understand it's, it's a little confusing and... If, if maybe if you don't like have a background in, in logic or, or you know deductive reasoning, it's it's kind of difficult to understand. But what he says is, if one civil, if a future civilization runs one simulation, then it stands to reason they could run several or hundreds. And if multiple simulation uh, civilizations did it, 
then the simulated realities could be in the millions or more. And the important, the, maybe the most important line from Bostrom's hypothesis is, with that number of simulated realities, it would suggest that our own reality is more likely to be a simulated reality than not. And that is the important takeaway here, is that there is no conclusive evidence that we are or we aren't living in a simulated reality. It's not likely to be something that we're ever going to know for certain. And so we have no choice but to deal in probabilities. And Nick Bostrom, as well as many prominent scientists who who I'll mention in a few minutes, believe that our own reality is more likely to be simulated than not, which... God damn, that's unsettling. One scientist who is a firm believer in Bostrom's simulation hypothesis is the well-known astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. You've probably heard of him. And he put the odds at 50-50 that our entire existence is a program on someone else's hard drive. That's that's actually the, the language that he used, that our entire existence is just a program on either a future uh, you know, ancestor civilization's a future civilization's hard drive or maybe an alien civilization's hard drive, which is eerie to contemplate. And DeGrasse Tyson said, I think the likelihood may be very high. Um, he noted the gap between human and chimpanzee intelligence despite the fact that we share more than 98% of our DNA. So somewhere out there, there could be a being whose intelligence is that much greater than our own. You know, I mean, if you think about it, chimps and humans, yeah, like genetically, we're almost indistinguishable, but there's an enormous gap <laughs> between what humans have been able to do and what chimps have been able to do. Um, and so DeGrasse Tyson says, why can't there be, uh, you know, civilizations, there could be creatures that are infinitely more intelligent and more developed, more cerebral than humans. He says we would be drooling, blithering idiots in their presence. I mean, again, like, you you guys know how much I like visuals. If you imagine a spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, you have chimpanzee intelligence. um, And even below them, you guys, you have the intelligence of, I don't know, insects, of single-celled organisms it's a continuing spectrum and then you know you you go to the right a little bit and then you get to the human intelligence and then if you take that same gap between us and protozoa right that gap and you extrapolate it forward to the right that's how unintelligent we would seem to these extremely developed intelligent life forms that we may not be able to even conceive of So DeGrasse Tyson continues, he says, If that's the case, it is easy for me to imagine that everything in our lives is just a creation of some other entity for their entertainment. Damn. DeGrasse Tyson, he he is cynical. That I mean that's it's one thing to have, you know, future civilizations run ancestor simulations for educational purposes to learn about the past, but I mean he's alleging that they're doing it for their entertainment, which is God, that, that, would, that would be a little bit fucked up. But on the other hand, though, it, it really isn't surprising. I mean, if you look at human nature and our exploitation of technology and animals and other really other living or quasi-living things for our 
uh, not just our benefit but our enjoyment, I actually think he, DeGrasse Tyson might have an argument that ancestor civilizations r- might run simulations on their ancestors for entertainment. I mean, again, like, look, yeah, I, I hate to go back to the well of, of Westworld here, but look at Westworld. I mean, it's not far-fetched to think that there might be an amusement park in the future where, um, you know, hosts, uh, or rather guests, take advantage of hosts for their uh, hedonistic pleasures, you know, sexual thrills and violence and, you know, different means of exploitation. We talked about back when I did the episode with Stephanos on um, AI, uh, episode 22, uh, we went into sex robots in Japan and how that is a growing uh, phenomenon. So, Perhaps, maybe, you know, if the future civilizations are human or share traits of Homo sapiens, perhaps it might stand to reason that they're running these simulations for their entertainment, although that is pretty gruesome um, and horrifying to think about. It's certainly possible. I mean, it does make sense, doesn't it? We, The universe is infinitely vast, and... You know the 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 probability of intelligent life elsewhere is has been well documented that it's it's quite vast that probability, and so you know for us to think that we are the most intelligent or among the most intelligent life forms, it's a little conceited and it's irresponsible. And if there are life forms that are even twice as intelligent or three times as intelligent, it stands to reason that our existence could be a simulation that they're running. And from a logical point of view, it would actually be more difficult to prove that we are not in a simulation than we are, if that makes sense. If we wanted to prove that we are living in a simulation, it wouldn't be that hard. According to Zoré Davodi, a physicist at MIT, he says, if there is an underlying simulation of the universe that has the problem of finite computational resources, just as we do, then the laws of physics have to be put on a finite set of points in a finite volume. Then we go back and see what kind of signatures we find that tell us we started from non-continuous space-time. That evidence might come, for example, in the form of an unusual distribution of energies among the cosmic rays hitting Earth, which suggests that space-time is not continuous, but made of discrete points. And that's the kind of evidence, he says, that would convince me as a physicist that we are living in a simulation. So I guess what he's saying is, I mean, you don't really need to know like the nitty-gritty scientific details, is that we could actually exp- you know, experimentally show that the laws of physics demonstrate that we're living in a simulation. Um, nobody, nobody's done it yet, uh, but it is possible to, to wrap your mind around the fact that there's a test. There's a, a way in which we can learn if we're living in a simulation. But proving the opposite, that the universe is real, that would be extremely difficult and almost impossible to reason. David Chalmers, a professor of philosophy at NYU, he said, You're not going to get proof that we're not in a simulation because any evidence that we get could in itself be simulated. You're not going to get proof that we're not in a simulation because any evidence that we get 
could in itself be simulated. That is a mindfuck if I've ever heard one. That's also super, super circular. It's it's like, uh, how do we know that God exists? Because the word of God tells us so. Um, and it makes, I mean, it makes sense. Let's say we did get evidence that we're not in a simulation. That could just be the simulation, a manifestation of the simulation. Again, look back to the matrix. If we wanted evidence that we're not in the matrix, you can't trust your senses. You can't trust you know, what you see. You can't trust what you hear. So, and that's the only way we can glean and intuit information. Do you know what I'm saying? Like empirically, we learn based on our observations, based on, you know, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, and smelling. But as we learn from, you know, Neo in the Matrix and uh, uh, the prisoner in the allegory of the cave, you can't trust your senses because they will deceive you. So because of that, there is essentially no way to prove that we're not in a simulation. And again, it's it's getting bleaker. It's getting the picture is getting more and more unsettling as we go deeper down the rabbit hole. Um, and you know, the the thunder and the rain uh, is is picking up behind me. I don't know if you can hear it, but what honestly what really swayed me um, because I, I was I, I've always not always, but I've been um, you know ruminating about this issue for a long time. And what swayed me on the simulation hypothesis was when I heard Elon Musk discussing it. And Elon Musk, obviously, uh, one of my personal heroes, he went on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast a year or two ago. And I don't know how it came up, but he argued that he firmly believes that we are living in a simulation. And when I heard what he had to say, I it really, I think it really convinced me. And and I'll see if it'll do the same for you. Um, and, and in some ways, it, it's restating Bostrom's hypothesis in uh, different terms and you know Muskian language. So what Elon Musk says about the simulation hypothesis is the universe is 13.8 billion years old. So any civilizations that may have arisen throughout the cosmos, which is throughout the entire universe, have had loads of time to hone their technological know-how. If you assume any rate of improvement at all, then games will be indistinguishable from reality or civilization will end. One of those things will occur. Therefore, we are most likely in a simulation because civilization has not ended and we exist. And again, like you know, like I said before, he's he's essentially just restating what what Bostrom said um, is the universe is infinitely vast. There have been lots, you know, there are likely lots of civilizations that have arisen, and they've had lots of time to increase their computing power with uh, Moore's hypothesis along that exponential rate of improvement. So because we exist, we're more likely than not in a simulation. Again, there's no certainty. Like like I keep saying, it's a more likely than not kind of situation. And what he's assuming is that if even one advanced alien civilization with a predilection for creating simulations has ever arisen out there in the long history of the universe, then it could theoretically create thousands or perhaps even millions or billions of simulated universes. And it would be hard for the inhabitants of these digital realms to figure out the truth because, as I said before, all the evidence they could gather would likely be planted by the creators. The only evidence in the simulation could be a manifestation of the simulation, that circular argument we just talked about. And so just to be clear, Elon Musk, as well as other prominent cosmologists and physicists, does not think there's just one simulation. He thinks there's likely many different ones, which construct the multiverse, a series of different universes. 
And this idea of the simulation hypothesis, it resolves the renowned Fermi paradox. The Fermi paradox essentially tries to reconcile the inherent contradiction between the likelihood that there is other intelligent life in this vast, vast universe and the lack of physical evidence that we have for its existence. So, I mean, even if you don't know the Fermi uh, paradox, that dichotomy, I think you're familiar with the idea. It's very likely that there's intelligent life in the universe, but we don't have evidence. How is this possible? Well, the simulation hypothesis reconciles these two statements by essentially saying that there are intelligent beings that have trapped us in the simulated existence while another reality is existing that we have no knowledge of altogether. So I'm sure you've gathered at this point that there's ample evidence that we are potentially living in a simulation akin to the matrix. And maybe when you know you first heard the idea of simulation, the idea that we're living in a simulation on, on the podcast, you thought to yourself, ah, oh, this sounds like you know conspiracy theory, this sounds like extreme paranoia, the people that think that you know 9/11 didn't happen and um, the, the earth is still flat and we faked the moon landing. Maybe you kind of classified all of these theories into um, or this theory into a bucket with those. But I hope that you've realized uh, by our conversation so far that there's there's a lot of evidence backing up the this concept. I mean, just wrap your mind around that, uh, around that for a moment. The idea that we are maybe living in a society like the Matrix. That maybe we're living in a virtual world. You know, everything you see right now, you go outside and... You're walking down the street and you see you know, the mailman and see a dog on a leash and you see you know, trees and bushes and gardens and oh, the corner store and, and you see the asphalt and you know you, you smell barbecue, fresh flowers. You know maybe maybe there's a skunk in your neighborhood. <laughs> maybe you see some trash on the you know on the street. Maybe there's children getting off the bus. Maybe you see someone listening to music. Maybe you can hear the music over their headphones. Maybe you're looking at your cell phone. <laughs> Maybe there's a hole in your sneakers. Maybe you have an itch on your back. Maybe your lips are dry. Maybe you have to sneeze. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're not feeling great. Everything that you are experiencing, everything you sense, everything you intuit, it isn't real. What you think is the real world might just be a simulation while your physical body is trapped somewhere, is stuck in a tank, in a, in a sea, in a factory, in a warehouse with millions, with billions, with trillions of others. Maybe it's machines that are standing guard and watching to make sure you don't wake up like Neo did. Maybe it's future human civilizations. Maybe it's not corporeal. Maybe it's a, a spirit. Maybe it's a deity. Maybe our minds can't conceptualize what the future reality is. Maybe we can, but I can't express it with language. Maybe our souls are trapped or our spirits or our essences. Maybe there is no such thing as a physical body. Maybe we don't exist at all. It's not only difficult to visualize and conceptualize, but to describe in words with our limited linguistic means is near impossible. But... That could be the world that we live in. That could be 
your reality. So you might be asking, okay, we're living in a simulation. So what? What's the difference? Maybe, maybe, you just, maybe you just don't care. Um, maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, I, I, everything you're saying makes sense. Um, I've heard this before. I think I think there's a good chance we're living in a simulation. I'm just gonna go, go about my daily life because it doesn't make any difference. So this, I mean, this question calls to mind a scene in The Matrix. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, mild spoiler. Although again, you know, the movie's twenty something years old, so. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think everyone you know sh- should have seen it by now. But in in the film, uh, one of the crew members on the Nebuchadnezzar uh, cipher ends up bet- betraying the rest of the team. Um, and this is again, this is in the real world, in the real world, not in the Matrix. And he does so um, by aiding Agent Smith to find the Zion mainframe. Zion is is where all the the real humans that are in the real world are uh, are hiding. And he's giving Agent Smith the coordinates of Zion. Um, why is he doing this? Well, there's one scene in particular where Cypher is inside the Matrix and he's having dinner. Again, dinner, air quotes. What he, what he thinks is dinner with Agent Smith right as he's, he's about to di- divulge the location of the Zion mainframe. And he says to, to Agent Smith as, as he's eating, you know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. And that's such a powerful statement. Even though it's it's very simple and it's something that you guys have probably heard, you know, many, many, many times before, the ignorance is bliss idea. But this guy Cypher has an awareness that his reality isn't real. He's seen the real world. He knows that, you know, he's living in a simulation. But he chooses to go back to the simulation because he prefers the ignorance. I, I think, if I remember correctly, um, part of the deal that he strikes with Agent Smith is that he would be dropped back into the Matrix and his memory would be wiped. So he would he wouldn't have to remember what the you know what the real world was. He forgot his experiences. And for some people, ignorance is bliss. I mean it. It's a perfectly reasonable choice. Whether we're living in reality or not, this is our existence, and we need to make the best of it. I mean, how many of us would choose to take that red pill like Neo did and wake up in in the real world, that horribly traumatizing experience? How many of us would choose that? I know I probably wouldn't. I mean, you, you can either be with you know eight, 8 billion people, your friends, your family, or you can be with a couple of, of rebels on a spaceship, I mean, which reality would you choose? So it, the idea of ignorance being bliss is is fine. For other people, the idea that we're living in a simulation, it might motivate us because any self-interested simulated person should strive to be noteworthy or risk being relegated to a low memory or non-conscious part of the simulation. Or if you're really paranoid, you know, risk being deleted altogether. So maybe you realize that you're in a simulation just like 8 billion other people and you want to be a, a special, a unique part of that. You want to make an impact. You want to leave the simulated reality better than how you found it. So that, I mean, that would serve as a source of motivation. And I mean, this is kind of tangential, but that kind of introduces the whole idea of like free will versus determinism in a simulation. I mean, could you have free will if everything if your 
reality was pre-programmed. Again, like, like I said earlier, where we don't, we have no evidence, we can't possibly have evidence that we're not living in a simulation because any evidence we get might be simulated. It's the same thing. Like you don't, you can't possibly have the freedom to make a choice because any choice you make could have been, um, you know, programmed by the the future, you know, the uh, the future civilizations or the alien civilization, whoever's running the simulation. So that that's kind of a you know an aside. On the other hand, so that's kind of like the the, the motivational aspect of living in a simulation. That's kind of the the rose color glasses perspective. But the simulation hypothesis might lead to problems. It might need to lead to uh, some undesirable unintended consequences. The economist Robin Hansen, he speculated that someone who is aware that he might be a sim, a sim, you know, a simulated person, might care less about others and live more for today. Hansen says, your motivation to save for retirement, to help the poor in Ethiopia, might be muted by realizing that in your simulation, you will never retire and there is no Ethiopia. I mean, that <laughs> that's really dark and unsettling to contemplate. Like, why... Why help the poor when there is no Ethiopia? Why save for retirement when you're never going to retire? I mean, this is the idea that nothing nothing we do matters, you know? Uh, or, you know, maybe you want to become a hedonist like Cypher. You want to indulge in those physical, sensual pleasures because nothing we do matters anyway because it's not reality, so to speak. So maybe you want to, you know, have a lot of sex or you know, experience the dopamine rush of drugs or indulge in, you know, extremely uh, fatty, greasy foods or drinks. And as Cypher said, I know that the matrix is telling my brain that the steak is juicy and delicious. The same way that, you know, you might have that awareness that the physical, sensual pleasures aren't real, but you choose that anyway. I think, I think that that is kind of a worst case scenario for as a consequence of this discussion so like if you're listening to this and and you're thinking to yourself we okay we live in a simulation so nothing i do matters i'm just going to become a nihilist and hedonist and indulge in in in, you know in things that are bad for me because it's meaningless i i don't see that as being the the common thread for most people i see that as kind of like a, a you know the darkest possible alternative. I do think a lot of people, the fact that we're living in a simulation would would motivate them. And of course, there's factors like religion also. Because, and we can have a whole other discussion about this, but right now, if, let's wash away the, simula- the simulation hypothesis. Um, right now, a lot of people who practice relig- monotheistic religions like um, Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam, they believe in one God and one God created the universe and you know we we should all worship uh, worship that God and, and God is the creator and maintainer and preserver of all things. But then if we lived in a simulation, all of that would change because there wouldn't be God in a traditional sense. Essentially, the architect, it, uh, the architect is in the matrix, the architect is the person that built the matrix. The architect of the simulation, whether that be future simulations, future civilizations running the sim or the supercomputers or uh, alien civilizations running the simulation, they would be our God in the sense that they, they, they would directly shape our thoughts, feelings, and actions. So we wouldn't have a traditional God and religion and spirituality would cease to exist or – 
it might lead to a different religion for us to consider altogether. Um, there are so many possibilities where that's concerned. So I guess the bottom line is everything is subjective. Is there there may or may not be any objective reality, and rather than taking the the you know negative perspective that you should you know nothing matters and nihilism is the answer you should opt to motivate yourself to be a unique person <laughs> a unique member of this simulation i want to review uh, you know a couple of the takeaways here because i know it's it's been a uh, a packed discussion here and i don't want to repeat myself but um i know that the topic was a little hard to follow at times and I want to make sure everyone understands what we discussed. So we went into the uh, the butterfly dream, uh, w- which is which is really neat. Um, I'm, I'm you know really enjoyed reading that, and and you should go online and re- read the translation as well. The idea that um, when uh, Zhuang Zhu woke up, he didn't know when, whether it was a man dream, it was a butterfly, or a butterfly dream of a man. We talked about the uh, the various forms of the matrix and the allegory of the cave in literature and in philosophy, the brain in a vat and Descartes' first meditation. We went into the uh, Bostrom hypothesis on the simulations uh, as well as Moore's law and the exponential increase in computing power, um, which all together, you know, taken all together leads to the idea that almost all existing civilizations are living in a simulation. And then we went into the fact that it's more difficult to prove that we are are not living in a simulation than we are because of that circular reasoning that any evidence we get could be part of the simulation. And, uh, of course, the, the Fermi paradox, the likelihood that there's uh, other intelligent life in the universe and the lack of physical evidence that would be uh, reconciled by the simulation hypothesis. And then finally, the consequences of this, whether you choose ignorance is bliss, you choose to be uh, motivated, or you know you, you take that, you know, that cynical approach. So this has been a uh, a very complicated topic. I, I apologize if at times it was hard to follow. If it was esoteric, uh, I really, <laughs> I you know, it's, it's not easy to say simulation and civilization six hundred times. Um, but I hope you got a little something out of it. And you know, I guess if nothing else teaches you to appreciate the existence that you have, because you never know. I mean, God. How do you how do you tie a nice bow around this conversation? This was this was weird. I, I don't think I, I could even accurately strike a uh, you know an appropriate tone here because it it was this discussion was all over the place. Um, so again, I apologize if it was unintelligible, um, difficult to follow. But I do hope that you learned something today and you know you explore the simulation hypothesis and its representations in literature and popular culture. Next week, we're going to be exploring two very intriguing, somewhat related topics, which are, there is a razor-thin line between sanity and insanity. We'll talk about an experiment that was done in the 1970s that sought to answer the question, just how good are psychiatric professionals at identifying people with psychosis, and why it's much easier to prove that you're insane than sane. And, there have been 292 mass shootings in America this year alone. What is it about our country that has given birth to a higher rate of mass shootings than all of the other industrialized nations combined? I'm going to explore the roots of gun violence in America and explain what exactly we can do to curb it. That's coming up next week on Nervous Habits. Thank you so much for listening, guys. This has been uh, episode 24 of Nervous Habits. 
As always, keep sending that feedback in via email at nervousheavispodcast.gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at nervousheavispodcast, on Twitter, nervousheavits underscore, and finally on YouTube, nervousheavitspodcast. And remember, all of existence as we know it is just a simulation being run by a future ancestor civilization. So enjoy life. Carpe diem. Stay nervous, guys.